Welcome to the Gen Z Stoic Podcast, where every week we strive to lead younger generations on a path to virtue through the insight of Stoic teachings and personal stories from our lives as Gen Z Stoics. Welcome to this week's Stoic Reading. I am your co-host, Ren, and today we'll be covering Letter 4 of Seneca's Letters from a Stoic. Now, Letter 4 is pretty long, so I will probably cut it off short in the interest of keeping this episode short. But what Letter 4 goes over is basically some irrational fears that people have as they walk through life, especially as it relates to death. So with that being said, let us begin this letter. Seneca starts out by saying, Keep on as you have begun, and make all possible haste so that you may have longer enjoyment of an improved mind, one that is at peace with itself. Doubtless, you will derive enjoyment during the time when you are improving your mind and setting it at peace with itself. But quite different is the pleasure which comes from contemplation when one's mind is so cleansed from every stain that it shines. You remember, of course, what joy you felt when you laid aside the garments of boyhood and donned the man's toga, and were escorted to the forum. Nevertheless, you may look for a still greater joy when you have laid aside the mind of boyhood and when wisdom has enrolled you among men. For it is not boyhood that will stay with us, but something worse, boyishness. And this condition is all the more serious because we possess the authority of old age, together with the follies of boyhood, even the follies of infancy. Boys fear trifles, children fear shadows, we fear both. So there's a couple points being made in this beginning. The first one is, I think, more on a personal level with his first sentence telling Lucilius to just keep going on the path that he's going on, as it will result in an improved mind and a one at peace. And I think... While it is personal, we can kind of gather from this teaching that there is no better feeling than a mind that is at peace. A virtuous mind, I think that's the end result, is you are fully at peace. Nothing can disturb you. Nothing can bother you. And so if there's no really better feeling than that, why don't we strive for that, right? And so why don't we just, like he says, make all possible haste. Make every single effort to clear your mind and make your mind at peace. And then he goes on to talk about the self-improvement process which Lucilius is on. And he, he talks about how you will derive enjoyment during the time when you are improving, but it's different from like the final goal. And so as with anything, right, when you go through something and maybe you're trying to learn a language and you learn how to say like a sentence or you learn how to have a basic conversation with somebody, that's good. Like you feel very happy that the work has paid off and you're there. But what Seneca is reminding us here is as good as that feels, we need to remember and acknowledge that we still have flaws that we need to work on because while it's good to feel sort of good about your progress and it's nice to see results, it, it pales in comparison to the final result when you're able to be fluent in that language. And that's when you're able to sit back and be confident and say, wow, this is great. I accomplished this goal. I'm at the finish line. Good for me. But it's silly. The people who say, well, this is enough enjoyment for me. So they stop halfway through the race. Don't be one of those people. And then finally, he talks about maturity in this first paragraph. He talks about how um, people... I find it interesting he mentions the forum and sort of authority in addition to age. Now, it's kind of a cliche to say that age doesn't equate to maturity, but it's interesting that he talks about here status also doesn't equate to maturity, and we can certainly see that in today's politicians. And it even reached back to ancient Rome and ancient Greece where age and status don't equate to maturity. So he's reminding everybody here to not equate that and make sure that even if you are somebody who you're a man now or you're a woman now, make sure you live up to that label and you are mature. And even when you get these high places of authority, don't misuse that authority and don't think just because that you have that authority you're a mature person. You have to live up to the mature values as well. And he's doing this to set up 
this next paragraph, where he says, all you need to do is advance. You will thus understand that some things are less to be dreaded precisely because they inspire us with great fear. No evil is great, which is the last evil of all. Death arrives, it would, it would be a thing to dread if it could remain with you. But death must either not come at all, or else must come and pass away. So he starts off here by talking about how fear is a great motivator. And I think this is a fantastic point. I love this point. Fear in, I think, traditional sense for humans, fear is something to be avoided. Fear is something that is a negative emotion. Fear is something that makes you feel very, very uncomfortable. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. Now, obviously, if you're like getting mugged or a scary situation's happening where your life is threatened or you're facing harm or something, fear is a natural response and it is tough to motivate. But these trifles that Seneca just mentioned before combined with the great fear, when you're fearful of things that are very trifling, things that are trivial, it's actually maybe a good thing because you can use that to motivate to get through it. Think about if you're somebody who is overweight and the doctor tells you, hey, you're going to face massive health complications if you don't change your diet. That fear of those massive health complications is the motivation to change your diet. Or if you're out of shape and you need to go to the gym, same thing. All of these things go to show that fear can be a great motivator. So the next time that you feel fear and your life isn't in immediate danger, you're not faced with harm, but it's like social fear or anxiety or something like that, think about how you how you can use that fear and that anxiety to drive you to conquer it and do something about it rather than saying, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction and avoid this fear. Because then when you're faced with that situation, every time your reaction is going to be fear and avoidance. And so that's a weakness you build up over time. The much better reality and the much better application for the real world is say, well, I'm going to have to face that today. And then boom, you face it. You realize it's not that big a deal because it was trivial and fear is no longer the response. And he uses this logic and applies it to death. Death is something that is one of the most common fears in humanity. And it makes sense. It sucks to die. But what Seneca is pointing out here is that it's a, it's a one-time thing. We live, we die, and then there's an afterlife, or depending on your beliefs, there's an absence of life. Death is a temporary one-time thing that is a bridge between those two stages. So if it was a recurring thing, then yes, it'd be a thing to dread. But people who spend their time, if I was sitting here at 19 worrying about, oh, when am I going to die? I need to I need to do things quickly because I might die soon. I do have that mindset where I need to be doing impactful things so that if tomorrow is my last day, I'm happy with what I've done. But I'm not dreading death. I'm not sitting here counting days, counting down, thinking about when my life will end. Because that's silly. It wastes life and it drags death out from being this one-time temporary thing to a thing that encompasses your whole life because you've given it this power through fear. So, with that being said, he continues with more examples, talking about it is difficult, however you say, to bring the mind to a point where it can scorn life. But do you not see what trifling reasons impel men to scorn life? Scorn life, he's talking about suicide here. One hangs himself before the door of his mistress, another hurls himself from the housetop that he may no longer be compelled to bear the taunts of a bad-tempered master, a third to be saved from arrest after running away, drives a sword into his vitals. Do you not suppose that virtue will be as efficacious as excessive fear? And so what Seneca is saying here is that He's actually using people who don't fear death because they're actively taking their own life as an example saying if these men take their own life over such silly reasons such as a mistress or somebody having a bad day, then we can easily find solace within our own lives and not fear death. 
And now I think Seneca does a good job here of he's not really criticizing the people who commit suicide. He's just actually using them as an example of people who have, have the right mindset but did the wrong thing with it. And so he's saying if these people who are most likely in a bad headspace, right, and they're depressed or something, are able to gain this clarity over death, then we as people who are not experiencing those hardships should be easily able to as well. And continues by saying, no man can have a peaceful life who thinks too much about lengthening it, or believes that living through many consulships is a great blessing. Rehearse this thought every day, that you may, able, may be able to depart from life contentedly. For many men clutch and cling to life, even as those who are carried down a rushing stream clutch and cling to briars and sharp rocks. So what Seneca is saying here is just basically another kind of critique of worrying about death, is the people who are thinking too much about it, the people who are like, how can I make my life as long as possible? When is my day coming? All of those things. The more time you spend worrying about that, the less time you spend actually living life. And life is not inevitable. Your path is not inevitable. You're not on one set track, but death is. So if death is inevitable, let it come, but make sure your life is a success and is something that is inevitably purposeful, inevitably something that leaves a legacy and leaves an impact. You don't do that by sitting around and worrying about death. And I think it's also interesting. Seneca brings up a couple of like political points here. He says, um, no man can have a piece of life that believes a, um, living through many consulships is a great blessing. So consulships, those are, I think it's like the second tier of political office in ancient Rome. Now, I think what he's saying here is just using it as a time period. But I think there's also a point to be made about how if you're just living through the same situation, like if you've got a consulship, right? If you're somebody who is a consulate in the Roman Empire and you just keep reliving it, if you keep reliving the same situation over and over and you realize that you can do that, then you're going to give less of yourself to that situation every single time. Using political office as an example, it's much better if you knew you were elected to office once because you would be very, very purposeful and intentional about what you do and it'd lead to a much more productive term than if you knew, hey, I have 20 terms within my life, so let's just spread it out. Then you get a lot less done within each term. So Seneca continues, most men ebb and flow in wretchedness between the fear of death and the hardships of life. They are unwilling to live, and yet they do not know how to die. This is talking about people who worry about everything. We talk a lot about dichotomy of control, and this is another example of the Stoics preaching dichotomy of control. You can't control death, so you shouldn't be worrying about the fear of death and when it's coming. But you also shouldn't be unwilling to live because you're worried about things within your life in hardships as he calls them. So the solution is in the next sentence. Seneca says, for this reason, make life as a whole agreeable to yourself by banishing all worry about it. No good thing renders its possessor happy unless his mind is reconciled to the possibility of loss. Nothing, however, is lost with less discomfort than that which, when lost, cannot be missed. So when we have terrible things, if you're in you know, poverty and you have terrible goods and you have the materialistic mindset, it's going to suck. And you're going to say, well, you're not going to be disappointed if you lose the things because they're a very poor quality and you not missing them as much, right? So he says, you know, reconcile your mind to the possibility of loss, whether that's a good, a good, a possession, a person. Why can't we apply that philosophy to life? We can classify our life as a good thing. Being alive is a great thing. It's a great opportunity. But if we p apply this mindset to like great things, like if I go out and buy a Bugatti, right? That's a great thing. But I need to be prepared to, to where if I lose that great car, I'm not depressed about it and I'm not disappointed and I'm not resentful. Same thing with life. I know my life is a good thing and it's a good opportunity, but I'm also okay with the fact that if tomorrow some unfortunate event happens and my life ends, that's okay. That just means I need to be doing impactful things from time to time. It's all about the concept of memento mori.
Therefore, encourage and toughen your spirit against the mishaps that afflict even the most powerful. I'm going to skip over some of the examples here. No man has ever been so far advanced by fortune that she did not threaten him as greatly as she had previously indulged him. Do not trust her seeming calm. In a moment, the sea is moved to its depths. The very day the ships have made a brave show in the games, they are engulfed. So what he's saying here is don't really trust good luck. Stoics are a big believer in loving your fate, but there's a difference between fate and luck. Fate, you have a little bit of control over. Luck, you have none. And what he's saying here is essentially, as luck goes, it's 50-50. The luckiest man in the world will eventually be struck down by bad luck. So don't count on luck. Instead, you know, trust hard work and actual tangible results that are attributed to you rather than some fictitious thing like fortune, which is classified as a lady here. And then he uses, obviously, good examples. So finally, I'll end with this kind of little paragraph. Reflect that a highwayman or an enemy may cut your throat, and though he is not your master, every slave wields the power of life and death over you. Therefore, I declare to you, he is lord of your life that scorns his own. Think of those who have perished through plots in their own home, slain either openly or by guile. You will that just as many have been killed by angry slaves as by angry kings. What matter, therefore, how powerful he be whom you fear, when every one possesses the power which inspires you fear? But, you will say, if you should chance to fall into the hands of the enemy, the conqueror will command that you be led away. Yes, whither you are already being led. Why do you voluntarily deceive yourself and require to be told now for the first time what fate it is that you have long been laboring under? Take my word for it. Since the day you were born, you were being led thither. We must ponder this thought and thoughts of the like nature. If we desire to be calm as we await for that last hour, the fear of which makes all previous hours uneasy. So with this last point here, what Seneca is doing is kind of bringing up another example which proves his point about death. He's, and he's saying here is basically anybody in your life holds that power over you. Any person who scorns the lives of others, as he's saying, and I find it really interesting his use of vocabulary here where it's scorning life means um, death. So people who scorn their own lives are um, people committing suicide. People who scorn other people's lives are homicidal. It's very interesting then. He talks about everybody has that, which is very true. It's a very, very, very dark thought to have, and it's kind of unfortunate, but it is true. Any person who walks through life and decides, hey, I don't have a moral conscience, I'm a psychopath, blah, 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 can take your life. So if any Tom, Dick, and Harry can have that power over you, why would you be worried about it? Because if you're truthfully, if, if you are really invested in worrying about death, you wouldn't be around any other person because they would scare you, would be fearful because they could take your life. So everybody is equal in that sense. So how do you take the power away from everybody in that situation? You aren't afraid of death. You instead focus on the quality of your life, which makes a lot of sense. Why, why are you, he says, deceiving yourself? Why are you really thinking about all of these conditions instead of just focusing on the quality of your life? We have one life to live. Are we really going to let the fact that we die at the end of it ruin that? Are we really going to let it detract from our focus on what our purpose is and what our path is? That's the questions that Seneca is asking here. And those are very good questions. And I think we know what the answer is. Memento mori, right? Remember that one day you must die. It's something I wear the necklace that I bought that is memento mori on almost every podcast episode. It's something I live by. And so if you're somebody who's struggling to answer that question, I encourage you to do one thing. And that is make sure at the end of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow, make sure that you have done one thing throughout the day that if you don't wake up tomorrow, you can say, well, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I can be remembered for doing that. And you'll find that the quality of your life improves.
you'll find that you do things more purposefully. And while that might not necessarily ease your fears around death, hopefully reading Seneca's letter will do that. With that being said, this has been Stoic Reading number six. I've been your co-host, Ren. Be sure to check out our most recent episode, The Stoic Student, Six Ways to Improve Your Education. Very hard-hitting episode, very relevant as we are college students. And with that being said, thanks for listening as always. I will see you next week.